This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Tom Kissingberry here. Nah, I'm just kidding. We don't have Tom Kissingberry money. It's just me, Peter Howard, and Jake Anderson meeting at the Dynasty Crossroads once a week for 30 minutes to talk about one player at a time. We look at the film with Jake, we talk about the analytics with me, and we try to come to a consensus. We do have a pretty cool theme song, though. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grabs that tape. Listening to the Destination Debbie Podcast. I present your host, Ray Garvin, host. the creator of Destination Debbie, Debbie, and your go to source for all things Debbie and college football. You know what comes next. Drop the music. De- 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 Debbie! This game we play is fun. It has an ability to bring people from all different walks of life together, to enjoy, to connect, to build friendships and relationships all over football. NFL, college, high school, doesn't matter. Football. Some of us were fortunate enough to actually play the game at some capacity, some level, whether that be high school, college, or the pro game. Some of us coached. A lot of us never step foot on an athletic field or court of meaningful competition. But we all love the game of football all the same. This thing is fun. For very few of us, is it a career? For a little bit more people, it's a legitimate hobby. But for majority of fantasy football managers, it's seasonal. It's recreational sport. It's a proxy of a game that we love. And in the grand scheme of life, this thing that we do, what I'm talking about, I mean, it's, it's absolutely meaningless. And don't get me wrong, I love fantasy sports and dynasty fantasy football in particular, the friends and connections I've made, the ability to reach and connect with fans of this show, fans of my work and content literally from all over the world, Asia, the Ukraine, Japan, Russia. We've got people listening to this show from everywhere, and I am incredibly humbled and grateful and motivated to continue to provide content that you want, content that is going to help you become a better Dynasty and Debbie League manager. But as we say in fantasy football, context matters. And this thing that we do for some reason tends to bring out the worst in folks, especially on Twitter. Some of the things that I've seen directed at others, at myself, are really, really uncalled for. And it's okay. It's actually welcome to disagree. 
to ask questions, to flat out think somebody has no clue what they're talking about. That's perfectly fine. But to attack, to demean someone for having a running back ranked four and you have them ranked two is asinine. It is ridiculous and complete trash. Film versus analytics, different rankings, different tiers. Who cares, man? Follow and engage with people that you like, people that you respect. Challenge away. Question their process. Question their thinking. But damn, man, life is way too short to be taking this thing to extreme levels. We as a community have to do better. You feel me? We can have differing opinions and still respect one another as people. We can. And the person that I've got lined up to talk to you today, goodness knows we've had our fair share of disagreements on prospects. But I respect him. I respect his process. And I can't wait for you to hear our discussion on age-adjusted production. This person I met through the fantasy football world, through the fantasy football community, and I'm glad to actually be able to call him a friend. And I'm thrilled to welcome back to the DDP, Jesse Reeves. All right, I want to welcome back one of my, and I don't say this lightly, I mean it sincerely, one of my friends in this industry, in this fantasy football world, one of the smartest guys, um, because he's just his his wealth of knowledge, how he processes things. He he doesn't just play one side of the fence. He paints this beautiful picture with all the information presented to him. I am so happy to have back on the DDP, my guy, my friend. Jesse Reeves. If you don't know who he is, you're tripping. You need to follow him. If you're listening to this show, you definitely know who he is. But Jesse, welcome back to the DDP, brother. Hey, man. What's going on, dude? I'm excited to be back. Uh, first time was was fun, man. The first time was fun. I, I had to uh, I had to come back and 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 get some more of that that one on one time with you, dude. man i feel like i don't know because last night i was on a show with peter howard then i'm on a show with you tonight i I feel like this is some elaborate plot to get me to open up the spreadsheets a little bit more and start paying attention to the data just a little bit more i think you and and peter kind of plotted something uh on me man and i'm I'm trying to shake it but shit i it's it's feeling good man i gotta say I'm, i'm liking it a little bit yeah, well, hey, contrary to that thought, no, me and Peter are not in cahoots. Peter's on his own wavelengths. So that man is on his own cloud. He does his own thing. And um, no, I just, I, if you ask me personally, I just think it's starting to pique your interest, man. I think the analytics side and and those spreadsheets, you know, they get interesting and, and you you really start to, to kind of dive into the analytics. And it's draft time too. A lot of really great data is applicable right now to these prospects and, and prospects going forward. And so I think... Um, I think it's more of more of just intrigue more than anything and just learning, man. That's I think that's the big thing. So you you talked about learning, Jesse. So right now we're at that time period where we've got one more big football game left in the NFL. College is over. Senior bowl is I think they play tomorrow. 
we're, we're at that point in time where the combine's ramping up, you know, that's about to get kicking off. And then you've got NFL free agency, you've got pro days, and then we've got the draft. So right now in your process, your stage, I mean, are do you have a finalized uh, list of your top prospects? Is it still in the information gathering stage? I mean, where are you in your process with evaluating these rookies? Not, not even just rookies, let's say rookies and potential 2021 prospects for the next year's crop of uh, guys. Yeah, right now, I wish I could say I'm finalized, but it's just the end of January and we're still really gathering as much information as possible on a lot of these guys. Uh, like you said, we have, we're rolling the senior bowl tomorrow. I know this week was a really, really big week for a lot of these, these prospects that are seniors that went to, to mobile and <clears throat> is a big week for them to put a lot more of their game on tape and just the hype coming out of there from a lot of, of the scouts and a lot of people that me and you interact with on Twitter um, is are they're, they're just pumping out more and more information for us to digest, whether it be film or more data. I know PFF right now is doing final grades on senior bowl performances, so I don't know if that's new. Maybe I'm just noticing it now, but for the most part, we're still just gathering a bunch of data. So I think it would be really disingenuous for me to say that I'm, I'm finalized or anywhere near it because the reality is I think this thing goes all the way up until uh, let's let's say April 22nd before we get finalized and that's just the night before the draft you know uh, there's so many factors that we have to take into account we still have the combine coming up there are so many things that that uh, can still go very right and still go very wrong so uh, yeah I think um, it, it's just an ever-growing process right now and, and with that I know we'll talk about some guys individually here in a little bit but how much how much stock do you put into the senior bowl, this this college senior level all-star game? I mean, how much how much stock do you put into that right now based on whether they do well or they perform well or they don't perform well? I mean, what is your sort of overall thought process on this this aspect of it? Well, I think the the senior bowl is a great space for a lot of people to not <clears throat> not solidify what they already thought about a prospect, but I think it's a great place for everybody to uh, maybe even just start to learn more about these guys. I know a lot of people in our space in the industry may, maybe weren't as keen on the numbers or the film side of a guy like Denzel Mims or Brandon Ayuk. Um, these are guys that are that are going to go to the Senior Bowl and they're going to they're going to perform. And it's great that we get to get a little bit more information and data points on them. Now, the downside to that, in my opinion, is we get a lot of hyperbole coming out of the senior bowl. Everybody's tweeting one-on-ones. Everybody's showing videos of this guy and that guy. Everybody looks great. Denzel Mims is catching in the corner of the end zone. He's a red zone monster. Um, Van Jefferson is picking up a lot of hype right now. So I think the downside is a lot of hyperbole, but that's natural when people are excited. It's it's all about being able to weed through that stuff and really dial in and 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 make sure that you stick to your process. So in my opinion, if you're watching the Senior Bowl and you've done your due diligence throughout your the college football season, I, I I would like to think that your process stays true. And if you like a guy, no matter how bad or good he does at the Senior Bowl, I would I would probably say that your process should continue to lean on the fact that you liked him, the film, uh, the 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 data. Everything all combined in your process, lean on that. Be genuine to yourself. Just because he has a bad week at the Senior Bowl does not mean he's going to bust out. Especially, I know a lot of people are talking about, for example, AGG, Antonio Gandy-Golden. He's finally getting to compete with some Power 5 guys. And from what I've seen, he's had a really good week. Now, 
that can really skyrocket a guy like that. That could probably, you know, if 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 scouts and, and other teams really like what they saw against uh, Power 5 schools and he showed that he can hold his own there, I think teams might be moving him up their draft boards a little bit. But um, nonetheless, he still came from a small school, so I don't know how much that's going to impact him in the long run. But those are kind of my thoughts throughout the throughout the Senior Bowl and the process of, of what I'm looking at and, and uh, how I kind of dial that into my own process. I try not to let it affect me on the Hyper Bowl end, but I will be, you know, I will be tweaking some things. For example, Denzel Mims had a big week, but from my from my data points and my data sets, age 19 breakout has really, really good three-year span over the past three years outside of his freshman year. He's always been at the top of my board, but I might have to put a little bit more priority on him in maybe dynasty formats or the way that I view him because now he's starting to get that respect. He could be jumping up other people's boards, so you have to account for that. Everything affects everything. And you know what's it's it's funny because and we've talked about this probably offline before, but it's about using the information, the data, the film analysis from people you trust, right? You know, it's it's and it's sort of the fallacy in the the downside to film analysis because I've got people that I trust that are in Mobile that tell me this prospect has not looked good. And then I get on Twitter and I see five other people say, oh, he looked great. He's been fantastic the whole the whole week that he's been here. And then I'm thinking, OK, has he looked good? Has he not looked good? This person that I trust says that's the uh, that is the subjectiveness and the fallacy of film analytics. You can get a thousand people to watch the same play. And then you got 500 that say he looks well and 500 that said he, that, that they didn't perform well. So it's one of those things where it's, I am tending to lean uh, towards some more data points just to kind of clear some things up. And then you've, you've told me this multiple times, you've got to go with what you trust, who you trust, what you trust, and then you've got to make your own decision. Is that sort of, I mean, what you see as well? Is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. <clears throat> and and to be, I mean, that's a really that's a really good way to put everything. You, you see a guy uh, like a Denzel Mims blow up or uh, Brandon Ayuk, who, for example, is somebody that I'm definitely not on this year, but a lot of people seem to think, I saw just an absolutely ridiculous tweet, at least it was ridiculous to me, saying that scouts were saying that they have him graded higher than Nikhil Harry. Um, to me, that is an absolutely wild situation because we see, we saw IU come in from Juco and then step into a power five school and just get completely dominated by Nikhil Harry. And then Nikhil Harry leaves. And then that's when we see Brandon, IU come out and put on this amazing season for an age 21 breakout. I don't know how you come to that conclusion. I don't know what lens you're looking through. I don't know. And and that's just my perspective. I don't like you're telling me that the that he's better than a guy that he couldn't beat out before. It's anyways, it's 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 things like that that really um that really make you want to dial in your process more and find out okay, why is this guy being touted so highly? Is and then you look at Maybe, and I, I, like I said, I'm not going to be in disingenuous to anybody's process right now. I have yet to dive in on Brandon Ayuk very extensively, so I can't tell you what his feet do. I don't know what his hands do at the line of scrimmage right now, but I'm sure he does some really incredible things. I don't think you have a season like that without some sort of potential, 
in college to be able to dominate, even if it is just for one season. But that's when you backtrack and you always ask the question, the the question, the late, well, I don't want to say late because he's still living very much alive. The great Peter Howard always taught me why. Why did this happen? Why did he have this one explosive year? Why? Why? And then why didn't he before? The question should always be why. And we can always go back and look at historical data and backings of years and years and years of samples that can tell us and show us that this guy might just be a flash in the pan for one season. And he might have a lot of upside coming into a team that doesn't have other wide receiver talent that he can beat out. Etc. Etc. So it's things like that, like the Senior Bowl and all the Hyper Bowl that that comes with the Senior Bowl, all the bowls that come with the Senior Bowl. It's 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 that it's things like that 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 more than anything, more than arguing with one another on Twitter, more than trying to prove your point, should really make you question the way that you look at your process and why you have guys like Brandon Ayuk potentially at the top of your board if if you do. And in in speaking of 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 film analysis or or processes or breakout ages and age twenty one age to eight age nineteen, I just want your and I know Jesse, I know because you said it you know five minutes ago that you have not you know finished your process for twenty twenty, but I just want to get your quick thoughts just off of the eye test off of some data that you have pulled, you know, things that you have seen in your own research and your own model. When you're looking at the 2020 class versus the 2021 class, and we'll stick to wide receivers here. And I bring this up because it's been sort of a hot topic on Twitter over the past, let's just say seven to 10 days with Najee Harris, with Travis Etienne, with some of these guys returning to school and people you know, fading the 2020 class. It's, it sucks now. It's terrible. And 2021 is the one that you want to be in. But when we're focusing on the wide receivers and, and just if you're out there listening and you have no clue who's in the 2020 class, just real quick, Jerry Judy, CD Lamb, Jalen Rager, LaVisca Chenault, KJ Hamler, T Higgins. And then you got the older guys, uh, Tyler Johnson, Antonio Gandy Golden, Michael Pittman, Devin Duvernay, Isaiah Hodgins, and more and more and more James Prochet, a bunch of guys. When you're looking at those versus 2021 and you've got Jamar Chase and, and Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Justin Ross, Tylen Wallace, Tamarion Terry, Sage Sherratt, Seth Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devonta Smith, Jesse, I'm telling you, man, for, and, and I've been saying it for a while. I think the 2021 class of wide receivers, at least at the top end, and, and I don't want to steal some of your thunder from some stuff that we'll be talking about later. I'm really thinking that this 2021 class of wide receivers is is better than what we have in 2020. What are what are your early way too early thoughts on 2021 versus 2020 and and you can talk about whomever however you want to talk about them. Yeah, so initially on the surface I think 2021 looks a little bit more impressive from the the level of players that we're getting. So I think it's a little bit deeper, but you're also looking at guys like Jamar Chase, Rondell Moore, and Rashad Bateman that are really, I think those guys are, are if they continue to perform the way that they did over the past year, two years, I think those guys are going to be at the top of the heap. All have a very young breakout age. I believe Bateman broke out as a freshman, if I remember correctly. I don't have uh, the information in front of me, but it was a it was a freshman, age eighteen. Rondale Moore, so, something similar. Jamar Chase, age nineteen. These are all guys that are going to have young breakout age, and then most notably for Bateman and Chase, I think we're looking at two guys that performed with really really good 
NFL caliber wide receivers next to them. And Bateman did it. You know, he he came in and made a pre- his presence known right off the jump with Tyler Johnson there. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. So we're talking about Tyler Johnson and, and um, Justin Jefferson coming into this class and how they have a lot of good upside based on their data and a lot of what we've seen throughout the college uh, the college season. And then we look at their counterparts in Bateman and Chase. And I think those two are going to be the guys that potentially lead the charge there. And it's already, it, for me, from my perspective, I think the 21, 2021 class is already coming in with a little bit of a leg up. And then you have a guy like Tylen Wallace, who he had an injury this year and he's, he's opted to go back into the, the go back for his senior season. Now I don't, I don't like wide receivers that go back for their, senior year or a fourth year after they've had a very impressive season. We're talking about a kid who's who's accounted for 35.4% of Oklahoma State's overall production since the the 2018 season. So over the past two seasons, he's averaged about, give or take, uh, over 30% of, of their entire receiving production. And when we look at that, and then we see him go into age 21 season in, in 2020, in, yeah, in 2020, that you call it 2020 season, whatever you want. Sorry, I'm getting my years mixed up. But anyways, you go into that uh, that uh, that 21 season after he's already been very dominant. He's going to have to really outperform what he's done over the past two years to hit that trajectory and continue. Because even though these are, are threshold statistics, you want to see a wide receiver hit over 20 percent. You know, blah blah blah. That's that's fine. But those those thresholds move up as the age gets higher. You need to be able to correlate that data as it gets higher. And so as it, at, it, as it, at age 21, the trajectory needs, you need to keep ascending and beat out what you've already done the prior years to, to be able to come in with a positive profile. Guys that do not, and they still hit over 20%, if you see a major decline, we're, you have to go in and see exactly why. <clears throat> was it surrounding talent? Generally, most of the time, it's it's. Hopefully, we like to say that it's a down year for the offense, or maybe you know it's only two percent less than what he performed the year before, give or take anything like that. But yeah, so that kind of worries me with with a guy like Tylen Wallace. But I'm sorry to get off track. I think the 2021 class is still just as I, I believe it's a little bit better than this class, and I think it's more even across the board when you look at guys like a Tylen Wallace that's going to go back, like a Sage Surratt, even though he's a little iffy for me in, in the data department, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Those guys, I think, are a little bit more appealing than maybe some of the back half guys we have in this 2020 class. I think this 2020 class is very top-heavy from an analytics perspective, uh, from both an analytics and film perspective. I think that it's it's going to be um, a very top-heavy class with guys like uh, CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Rager, Tyler Johnson, um, so yeah, I, I I'm looking forward to the 2021 20, class, but I don't want to get too too hyped up about it right. because as you can see this year, nothing is guaranteed. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing guaranteed, and Rashad Bateman and and Jamar Chase, those aren't going to be uh, Rashad Bateman most notably. He's not going to be a guarantee to 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 come out. I believe he's going into his junior season right now, if I remember correctly. Correct. Correct. Uh, and then. Um, and then you have uh, Jamar Chase, who is going to be, is he going to be a senior next year or is he going to, he's going to be a junior. No, he's going to be a junior. Yeah. So none of the, and Rondell Moore too, same thing. He's going to be going to, these yep. are all guys that are shifting into their junior season. So they are not guaranteed to come out and their profiles will change over the, the duration of the season. So I don't want to speak too highly of them, but based on what we do have right now, I believe the 2021 class is probably a little bit better. 
So, quick question about that, because Rondell Moore was everybody's, hell, he was our Debbie 101, you know, most of the 2019 season, and then he got injured. So, my question to you is, he broke out as an 18-year-old. I mean, 114 receptions, whatever it was, 1,200 yards, ridiculous production as a true freshman. He misses essentially the entire year in uh, this past 2019 season. So how, and I asked Peter this question and I I don't know if he, I don't know if he really answered it or or if he, because, you know, he doesn't watch college anyway, but, and he probably hadn't even started looking at those guys, but how will that dip, that gap in production affect any player in your model? Broke out early, missed an entire season. I mean, is, is Rondell Moore going to, to drop down in your model because of that missed season? How does, how does that go into play? So this is where kind of collecting your own data and doing your own analysis really helps. So it's going to, and I can kind of attribute this back to maybe a guy like Debo Samuel or DK Metcalf last year. Those guys, they're not going to break your model. They're not going to be the top hits in your model, but you are able to really contextualize what happened through their injury. Now, we can't take away the injury, so the smart thing is not to dismiss it, in my opinion. So Rondell Moore, I cannot dismiss this entire season, but if he comes back in 2020 and he puts up another 100 receptions and has over 1,100 yards for even 9 to 10 touchdowns, even if it's a little bit under what he performed his freshman season at, that's going to be a very high-level season in terms of of market share Mm -hmm. and overall production. In my opinion, looking at that, I would I would throw the context in there that says he didn't skip a beat after the injury. He kept pace with his 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 trajectory and he's still he's still a really great player. Now if he comes back from the injury and he has a very underwhelming season, then that's when we look back and be like start to look back at the data and say, "Okay, well he had this really really awesome breakout season his freshman year, so he's capable of doing it and he was capable of doing it from a young age." But then he has the injury, and then he comes back 2020, and he doesn't do so hot. Maybe he only catches 70 receptions for 800 and something yards and five touchdowns. Maybe he's you know taking a little bit to get back to his, himself. Then if he comes back for his senior season, no, that's a red flag in itself because that tells me that he's not getting high enough draft grades. He's not expected yep. to go very high in the draft after his after his junior yep. season. And then if he comes back and he has say he has a moderate or even an ex a very very good season in his his senior year not that it's not going to matter but there are two blemishes there and that's the kind of what you open yourself up to when you when you look at the numbers and you look at at players like a Rondell Moore now this is like forecasting right now because I fully expect right. him to to, right. to come back and be fine. Uh, not many players come in and and walk into a power five conference and just absolutely dominate at his age in the way that he did. Um right. so with that said I I'm I'm fully expecting him to come back in 2020 and get right back on that trajectory ascending path and and really kind of break through that box and it shouldn't be a factor because you can always add in that context but going back to what I originally opened up with going this is this is why people were kind of on on the fence about DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel both those guys came in with a little bit of an injury history DK more than Debo I believe and they were not going to be sitting at the top of your model. But if you look at the data and you contextualize it and you say, okay, well, here's an injury here. But on, on, on years where he was able to see 10, 50, or 10 to, to 13 games in a season, he broke out. DK Metcalf had 
over 20% of the Ole Miss market share in 2017, over 20% of all receiving production, excuse me, uh, in 2017 when he played 12 games. So necessarily, that's we would like to see more from a guy that's being touted uh, as one of the best wide receivers in the class, but he still nonetheless showed us that he can do it. So when you look at DK Metcalf's overall entire college production, you look at where he missed a lot of games, where he's only able to log seven games, where he's only able to log three or four games. And his last season at Ole Miss, he was expected to really break every single statistical and analytical threshold that we expected him to. He was on that trajectory before he got injured. So you choose to do with that what you will, but if you're looking at the raw numbers and you look at a, a database, you know may, maybe one of Peter's databases or my databases, or I'm just shooting data and stuff. Don't expect Rondell Moore to be one, at the top of 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 just a purely analytical expected or a purely analytical uh, threshold model. Don't expect him to sit at the top of that, regardless of his freshman season, because he has that injury. But smart people know you have to add context into that that type of data. That's um, the reason why he didn't perform his sophomore season is because he only played four games. Uh, and, yep. and even then, four games, twenty nine receptions, three hundred eighty seven yards, and two touchdowns. <laughs> he was he was on his way. He was well on <laughs> yeah. his way in four days. So don't you know. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I look at guys like that. And I they will be affected in the model, but anybody who's willing to look a little bit, uh, look a little bit deeper and contextualize the numbers and look at everything that's available will. I don't think he'll be docked. But that's like I said, forecasting, and hopefully he comes back next year and he puts up another hundred receptions and just goes bananas like we know he right. can. So we just released our uh, Devi ADP over on DLF today, and I'm just going to read our top five wide receivers. We've got Jamar Chase, one, Rondell Moore, two, Rashad Bateman, three, Amon Ross St. Brown, four, and then Justin Ross is fifth consensus. So that's sort of uh, where the the mock drafters are valuing these guys. And, you know, I agree with a couple and disagree personally with a few, but that's why we have the mocks and we provide ADP. But it's a good segue into age-adjusted production. And I know this is something that is very uh, important to you and your model, Jesse, and how you operate. I know age-adjusted production Generally, I'm just going to speak from a, a, a novice analytics guy over here. You want your players to produce early, right? You want them as soon as possible. Brian Edwards, what was he, 17 years old and 10 months, nine months? And, you know, Jalen Rager, 18 years old and eight months, whatever it is. But, Jesse, I'm just going to ask you. Why does that freaking matter? Why, if I can, maybe I just didn't learn the offense and get on the field 18, but I put it together, you know, towards my 19, 20 year old season. And then I really got it together at age 21. Why does this, why does this matter, man? So, oh, that's a really good question. And I think one that, that people don't, I, I think it's one that people don't ask enough either. I think they either dismiss it because they don't understand it or they don't care to understand it. Um, from, and I, I do want to, I do want to give a disclaimer that a lot of this data is, is very, very, very heavily. It, it's, it's fantasy centered, I should say, because realistically we see guys that come in and they, if we're talking about real football, we see guys that help their team and, and from, from a, just an absolute real football perspective. And it might not, uh, it, it might not 
translate to fantasy points. So when when I do talk about this data, I do want to want to give that little disclaimer that we're we're speaking purely from from a fantasy perspective. And the reason why this stuff matters uh, that we look at correlation between age, breakout age, market share, and why it matters for fantasy is because when we when we look back at numbers and we we grab a sample, now say we just grab a sample from 2000 to to 2019. When we're able to cross-check a lot of these wide receivers, and I'll, let's just place, I, I like the way that, that Peter does this, and he's the one that taught me, we'll place a hit, we'll label a hit as a top 24 PPR season for a wide receiver. Now, when when we when we look at these numbers and we cross-check what, where these players are breaking out, now, if anybody's unfamiliar with a breakout age, it's when a player grabs 20% of their team's overall receiving production, 20% or more, and what age they were when they did that. So breaking out is considered grabbing 20% or more of your team's overall receiving production in X year or whatever year that, however old that player was. So when we go back and we look at historical college data, we're able to see that when when it's paired with draft capital too, I do want to give that disclaimer as well because all of these these all of these numbers are fine and dandy, but where these players get picked in the real draft is is very very important to how they they get the opportunity that they get. We've seen good players. I'm going to throw out one right now that still hurts my heart. We've seen Kelvin Harmon get drafted in the sixth round, and he barely did anything last year. And that's because, and this, I could I could probably go on about this a little a little point, but uh, to put it simply, we need to pay attention to how teams value these players as well, because how they value them should probably give an indication for how we should value them as well. Kelvin Harmon being a perfect example, a sixth round pick. It almost essentially made it so he had no chance when he walked in. Terry McLaurin drafted in the second round. When you draft a wide receiver early, you're going to be slotted in to get the volume early. They have more faith in you. They like you more. That team is invested higher in you than they are with a guy that that was selected in in round six with an age 19 breakout because realistically teams don't use this data. So we have to account for that even more. So yeah, disclaimer, this data is is really, really well paired with draft capital. But when we go back to historical data and we cross-check age 18, 19, 20, 21, even all the way up to 22 breakouts and see when these college players are surpassing these thresholds, and then we pair that with a thing like draft capital, we get success rates that really show us what these players are doing in fantasy, i.e., again, top 24 season counts as a hit for what I'm about to say. We see that when when we look at players who come in from college to the NFL that broke out at age 18 and they're drafted in the first round, we see these players have a 70.6% hit rate in terms of being able to produce at least one top 24 season in their fantasy career. You go to an age 19 breakout, you go 68.8%. So it's only two. So age 18 and 19 selected in the first round of the NFL draft, that's your ping right there. That's your number because it's roughly an average of 70% between age 18 and 19 players that get selected anywhere in the first round. They are going to produce a top 24 season. And 
this goes back to a lot of the other data that I've that I've looked at as well in terms of yards per route run from PFF and raw fantasy points uh, for breakout. And you can find that stuff on my Twitter. I know you've looked over it. But these things don't just correlate with one. We're we're just labeling labeling these one seasons as or these these percentages as how many hit one. Most of these guys that are selected in the first round that break out that early actually have a lot of repeatability. Three to four seasons inside that top twenty four. So when we when we break down and then we can go on and on down the list. You even and we get a strong signal from even guys that are getting drafted in the second and third round that have young breakout age. Hell, even age eighteen that are drafted in round three have a forty two point nine percent hit rate. So even that is a strong indication that even players that break out at age eighteen that are selected anywhere within the first to third round, you have a really high probability of still hitting on those guys in fantasy and then producing at the very least one top twenty four fantasy season for you. So I know a lot of people don't understand this, and especially right now because we're in the midst of real life drafts and fantasy prospect talk, that this kind of data can get really misconstrued because I'm I'm not coming in and saying that breakout age that that, that even though it, the data says that there's a high probability that an, an age 18 breakout selected in round one is going to be a hit. Whether and when I say hit top 24 season, like I've said four times now, excuse me, but when I say that. If he's he's probably not just doing good in fantasy, he's probably doing good in real life as well. So there is an overlap there. There's a sense of you know there's a little bit of overlap between this data and real football. But uh, for the most part, when we're talking about just fantasy statistics or just fantasy. Um, uh, fantasy wise, we see that that this heavily translates into success rates for wide receivers that perform and are able to give us uh, the uh, maximize uh, output of these these fantasy or these wide receivers in fantasy. So that's why I think this data is is amazing because it gives you uh, it, it gives you a a a foundation for you to really start evaluating these guys. Okay, he and you can go through it like a check mark, you know, or a check box, you know. Okay, age eighteen breakout check. Okay, um, he got selected in the second round. Okay, age eighteen, he's got a forty six point two percent chance to succeed. Okay, then from there you look and you evaluate the situation that he went to. Terry McLaurin uh, is a perfect example of this. I um. Off the top of my head, I do not think he had a breakout or it was an age 21 breakout. It was either really late or he didn't break out at all. But he landed in a place where there was nobody else. There was there was nobody else. Who else was on that team besides <laughs> age, Trey age, Quinn. Adrian you Peterson? Tra- Trey Quinn. Yeah. Trey Quinn has an amazing profile, too. But I, I think that... Um, and, and to be honest with you, I haven't even dove into Trey Quinn because I really like him. There's probably a reason he didn't succeed this year, but we, we just saw, and he was one, somebody, Terry McLaurin was somebody that was very, very hyper efficient on a lot of his touches too. Um, but when we look at, uh, the situations that they go to that has to be factored in too with with draft capital as well the surrounding talent then you want to start using this data that you use as a foundation piece to evaluate the guy that's coming in to kind of look at all the other talent around him Trey Quinn like we just mentioned he had a really really good profile and now I'm actually kind of curious as to why he wasn't um, the guy there over Terry McLaurin and why he wasn't having some of those really big smash weeks and that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking into more but um, so it's not that these players that don't hit those thresholds, don't succeed either because we do have guys that come in like a Terry McLaurin and they take advantage of the situation that they're presented and they can have these these big years. It's just that 
it's not sustainable over a long period of time for them because generally when you only have one wide receiver like that and he's not even the top of his uh, of, of the heap he's not a top 10 top 12 wide receiver the team generally looks to bring in a guy that can fit that mold and then yeah. that wide receiver that didn't break out and wasn't able to surpass those thresholds in college he gets pushed to the back of the order and then next thing you know you have every you know everyone's everyone's wondering why well it's because he was never going to sustain that anyways because his profile told us that he couldn't and when somebody better came in they were going to take it away from him so yeah in short i know i just rambled a little bit but that's why this data matters yeah that's that's why this this stuff absolutely matters so here's my question because and we've talked about this and and i'm (laughs) you guys really don't understand jesse is if you come to him and you're really trying to learn this dude will take time and thoroughly thoroughly respond to your questions. And Jesse, you have done that uh, for me multiple times, but I I feel like I've gotten a little something different out of you tonight. So let me ask you this, because you know, I like some of those old receivers who did absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. until they were about 28 years old in college, right? And Mm -hmm. I think the beauty of what you do is because you are not only uh, data-driven, you do watch film. You do pay attention to what these guys are doing. So there may be an older prospect who you've seen on film that that you say, okay, he can play, comma, however, if... Michael Pittman or Devin DuVernay don't get the draft capital, right? If they're drafted round five, round six, it doesn't matter what they did their final season. I mean, based on what you said, the likelihood, the probability of them having the opportunity to perform is probably not going to be there, right? Is that sort of the idea? And and it's not saying that you're absolutely fading, a Devin DuVernay, but you've told me, yeah, I'll target him in round the end of round three, round four, of my rookie draft, or, you know, potentially somebody off the waiver wire, but you're not going to invest high rookie draft capital on a senior wide receiver who didn't break out, who doesn't get the draft capital because the probability of them succeeding, no matter how good they looked in Mobile, if they don't get the opportunity, it's just that the, the odds are not in their favor. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's definitely right. And I think you made a really good point there is that um, I, it, it's hard to say because I know a lot of people take this this way, but just because the player doesn't meet these thresholds or does meet them late does not, it doesn't devalue them. It just, it actually values them for you. It helps you put these players into a bucket that you can actually contextualize and digest easier instead of saying, well, I like the way that this guy's feet move and I like the way he can play the contested catch. And, you know, he looks really good on the field. This data helps you put these guys into a bucket and, and, and helps you tear them out into a place where you can start to value them and actually look at where they should be valued. So I know a guy like Michael Pittman broke out at age 20, but he sustained nearly 30 percent he's got an average um an average dominator over the past two seasons uh an average of about 30 20 29 to 30 percent uh since age 21 to 20 or 22 to 20 excuse me 20 to 21 so he doesn't have necessarily a late breakout age and if he gets drafted anywhere in between the first and the second round if a team absolutely falls in love with him he's got a pretty fair he's got a pretty fair chance about an average of 30 percent to actually hit a top 24 season that's when you evaluate you know where 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 you might want to take him for that for a 30 percent hit rate and if he that's to say he gets taken in 
in in round two. If he goes, you know, three or four or anywhere after that, he he showed us in college that he can do it. We know that he can surpass those thresholds. We know, and and anywhere for anybody that might be looking for, like, how do you gauge what specific numbers mean what? For me, when I look at a receiver that holds over 30% of their team's uh, receiving production, that is considered excellent to me. So we see for two seasons that he is capable of, of maintaining an excellent market share of his team's overall receiving production. The draft capital might not suggest it. I, honestly, I don't. I don't see Michael Pittman going anywhere between, anywhere before round three. I think three is when you can start to put the timer on him. I think that's when teams are going to going to look for him and and to bring in that that late round wide receiver, as you could say. And that's about where I'm looking to value him as probably a late third early fourth, mid fourth, and he might even be a guy that people just forget about and you might be able to get at the back half of rookie drafts. But um, going back to the original point is it's not that these guys are bad or a guy like right. Devin DuVernay, who, who is who I like to put the kind of, and, and it might sound negative, but it's a flash in the pan kind of for me. Right. He had that one good year, you know what I'm saying? He right. showed me he can do it. Whether he, whether with the circumstances you, you, after with Colin Johnson there after the circumstances yeah. with Little Jordan Humphrey leaving, he showed me that he can do it. So there is upside there, but it's how we value that upside. We need to be placing a premium on these guys that consistently do it at from a young age and consecutively do it for two to three years and beyond, over a guy who doesn't do it and breaks out late or does only has one. It's not that they're bad, and it's not that they don't have the upside that the that that these others do. It's just we need to be smarter as people on how we place the value there. If Michael Pittman gets a bunch of raving reviews at the combine, he blows things up and teams are looking at him and he looks great. It's fantastic. He's going to be a round two wide receiver. He might even shoot up to the back half of the first round. Right. If he does that, we have to adjust and say, okay, well, looking at his profile, I don't, I, I, I like that he broke out at 20 because there's not an, a, a, an a monstrous significant difference between um, age 20 and age 21 or age 19 and age 20 breakouts. Nothing that's, that's monster that suggests that they can't do it. And he's already done it too. So if that inflates his value, you might still, people are going to be jumping on him early in rookie drafts. People are going to be looking at, you know, maybe that late second round instead of what I just mentioned, a mid third, early fourth. So you're going to want to adjust for that and probably be the guy in your draft that maybe doesn't fall on that sword or maybe maybe you're maybe you see the draft capital if he's a first round wide receiver they have really really good hit rates he didn't break out till late okay we got to find a happy medium here to where i'm gonna place my value on him because he's in this bucket right here you factor in draft capital now we can move him into this bucket okay i like that value so i think it's more about how we value these older players that break out why they're doing it late how they're doing it, and then being able to contextualize everything all together, and then putting them where we want them with our value system. It's 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 so funny listening to this because I understand it. I understand it. I've I've read the data from you, from Peter, from other people, and I live out here right outside of Dallas, Texas. And today, in one of our Dallas Cowboys group chats, they were talking about wide receivers that they wanted Dallas to target in the first round, and everybody was just Henry Ruggs, Henry Ruggs, Henry Ruggs. And then I just chimed in, and I was like, 
I'd personally prefer Jalen Rager over Henry, Henry Ruggs. I mean, athletically, he's probably just as athletic, if not more. And he was more productive than Henry Ruggs. And everybody comes in. Did you see how many touchdowns Ruggs had? They actually had the same amount of receiving yards. And then I tried to talk about market share and talk about, well, actually, he wasn't as productive. And here's why. And just the average layman NFL casual fan, they don't want to hear it. They don't really understand it. it. It doesn't mean anything to them, but I really do believe, and I plead with you, that the people who download this show, I'm not telling you to everything that Jesse Reeves or Ray is telling you, you need to hold it as truth, as Bible, but you'd be silly to ignore this information. You would be silly to, to not use it to help you paint your picture, to help you write your story, whatever story that is. I will not ignore this because this makes sense to me. This is is something that uh, you can go back. And, and, and Jesse just said he gave you the ages and with the draft capital and the percent of a hit rate with which, you know, top 24 wide receiver fantasy terms. You can't ignore this information. And that's why. I really appreciate it. And and real quick, Jesse, I just want to ask you, because I'm seeing a lot of people talking about if you're only using dominator rating, then you're doing it wrong. Like that's not the best standard measure of just using pure dominator rating as your is your basis. Is that the touchdown fluctuation in there? Why is why are, why are so many people just kind of like don't just use dominator rating? You need to use it as a part of a bigger picture. Yeah, so dominator rating is is a really good way for you to gather the uh, the entire analytical scope. It's just it's one single number in a in a in a percentage form that people can understand. 20% is what you want a wide receiver to hit. 30% is excellent. Anything beyond 30, you just chalk it up to an absolute W. When you look at a guy Denzel Mims, where you know, he's hot right now. 38.9% receiving college dominator. And so obviously phenomenal right there. Three phenomenal seasons. All of them, only one season is south of 30%, and it was only by about 2%. I, I still consider that an excellent season nonetheless. But look, it's just an easy number. 38%, and then you put those values on that. 20% is okay. 30% is great. Anything over 30 is is we're we're moving right now. We got that. That, that, that hype train, we're shoveling coal in there. We're going to get this thing rolling. When you're able to put a singular number on that and say, this guy handled 38.9% of overall production, it's easy for people to digest. And, it, and I think it makes people more comfortable. But when we look at a number like that with, with College Dominator, it does incorporate touchdowns. Now, anybody that's studied t- – anyone that has done any study on touchdowns will tell you that it is a random phenomenon. They do not carry year to year. They are random. Some st- specific players – the only player I can think of that even before this year that just was on a consistent basis with touchdowns who had a lot hit on the, uh, on the good side of touchdown variants was a guy like Devontae Adams who continuously just has over 12 every single year. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head how many he scored this year, but, um, he just constantly hits on the, on the, the positive side of touchdown variants, but not many players do that. Some players will hit that, that 10, 10 touchdown threshold in an NFL season. And then they'll regress to about seven. Then the following year, they just don't carry because we don't have a, a specific indicator that tells us that, that touchdowns are 
um, <clears throat> that they, they, they give a strong signal year to year for predictability purposes. So we can't bank on that. But when we look at college dominator, touchdowns are incorporated because we like to get the entire picture of the, the whole, we get the whole picture of that, that, that specific prospect touchdowns and, and receiving yards. So when you look at, at numbers like a, uh, a college dominator, although it's good to give you the entire number, I've found from my studies that the the most reliable thing you can do is you want to look at you want to look at receiving yards market share. A guy like Tyler Johnson handled 44.7% of his overall team's receiving yards at age 19. 44%. That is such an uh, just an absolutely wild number. And the reason why I say that you want to look at at receiving receiving yards as as probably the strongest indicator and just a, kind of a baseline for for me from my perspective is even if a team only throws for 500 uh, 500 yards if there's one receiver that's catching 250 of those receiving yards and mm-hmm. it's three other players that are catching you know the other two 250 that one player is showing dominance over everybody else around him in terms of yeah. the receiving production in terms of yards so Yards are we know are an indicator and and they they help predict uh, the future. They help us in, in not even just market share data and or not even just at the college level, but NFL as well. It's a strong indicator that they're dominating their team's share of production. So that for me is what I look for at the base, and then I move over to you know the their reception, uh, their market share of receiving touchdowns and. You'll look at a guy like Tyler Johnson. He accounted for 77% of the receiving touchdowns at age 19, which is absolutely wild because he accounted for seven of the only nine touchdowns that were scored for Minnesota that year. But you look at it and you say, okay, well, he only scored seven touchdowns that year, but it was he was the one that was catching most all of them. So, But that's not right. going to happen year in and year out. We see this past year at age 21, he only had 39% of the receiving touchdowns, which is still really, really good. Don't, don't let me, let, you know, don't, I don't want to be disingenuous to his total there, but uh, the fact that College Dominator takes into account something that is not reliable and predictable, that automatically gives it a, a, a sense of, um, a, a sense of instability when we're looking at that as the main outline for why you're the, why you like this guy. Tyler Johnson has a 49.7% receiving college dominator. That's fantastic. I love that. What did he do in receiving yards? Oh, okay. He did really, really well. Okay. But, oh, now I see why his dominator is so high because he accounted for 77% yeah. of the receiving touchdowns. So is that, is that good? It's phenomenal, but it doesn't carry any weight year to year because he's not going to do that every single year. It's not predictable. So that's why I tell people stray away from dominator as a, a sole premise of your evaluation. Always break it down. Always look at receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. And actually I have yet to do this, but it's something on my list right now, but there, um, I, I was, I was told and informed and also told I should look into, uh, the market share of receptions as well and see if there's any, um, if there's any stability there and if there's any predictability in terms of reception. So I'm, I'm kind of playing around with the idea of maybe taking out touchdowns and we look at just pure receptions and receiving yards and see how stable we can make that. That's something on my list, on my list. I don't think anybody's doing it. Maybe somebody will now after they're listening to it. And if you do (laughs) shout at me, holler at me and tell me what you find. If it's compatible or if it works, that's awesome. But 
yeah, uh, to answer your question, just to go more on the dominator side, don't let that be your, don't let that be like the linchpin of your yeah. analysis. You know what I'm saying? Don't, you know, don't, don't let that, it, um, don't let that be what, why you're telling me this guy's good because there's a level of, um, unpredictability in there that you're telling me is stable and it's not. And, and I, when you talked about unpredictability, I went and just pulled the stats for one of the greatest wide receivers of our era, Calvin Johnson. And he had a don't forget that he had a 200 plus target season where he caught 122 balls, for 1,964 yards and five touchdowns. You know what I'm saying? Like Ex- exactly happen. Exactly. But his <laughs> his market share numbers are still going to be absolutely through the roof because of how Correct. much how much of that offense he 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 had by himself. And even if he only caught five touchdowns, that, and that's that's a really great point. I'm glad you brought that up because some of the the some offenses that move the ball very very well just have a level of unpredictability in in who who they're throwing the ball to in the red zone and that's not anybody's fault necessarily but teams change up personnel they go too tight in the in the end zone or yep. they just or they they run it up the gut they get their they're running back the ball more it's just not an accurate way for us to label these wide yes. receivers and us to say um this guy the, this singular number said he did really good well let's dive into that number a little bit because college dominator is not the end all be all you want to be careful when you're using it but it yeah. is a good it is a good metric for you to just kind of get a quick glance at, at what that player did in college what why you know and then you dive into the why and it's it, and I remember that season and I don't have the stat in front of me, but I, I believe he was like tackled inside the five yard line a crazy amount of times. And, you know, they sub him out and run the ball. But the unpredictability of that, he had 16 touchdowns the year before and then 12 touchdowns the year after. So, like you said, it's it's TDs are just they're crazy. It's hard to bank on those. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I know. I know we talked a little bit about the seniors, but if if you can give me one or two guys that you're that you are very intrigued by, even though they're they're older prospects, you know, Antonio Gandy Golden, Tyler Johnson, Duvernay, Pittman, Mims, Ayuk, which which a couple of these seniors, who who really has your antennas up for rookie draft purposes? Uh, Antonio Gandy Golden is a guy that stands out to me. I I wish I had his metrics. Um, they're just not available right now. I don't know why they're not available on Pro Football Reference, but from what I saw, he still was dominating at age 18 and 19. Maybe not his freshman season, but I do remember um, looking at some some of his data at the age of 19, and I want to say off the top of my head, and this might be a wrong guess, but I want to say he still surpassed that 20% threshold at, at, at age 19, even though I don't have it listed, which I should maybe, you know, get mm-hmm. on my stuff. But um, so he's somebody that's going to be intriguing to me. I think like we, we discussed earlier uh, about the senior bowl, this is where a guy like, like him can, can really gain a little bit of traction against some power five schools and show that, you know, that he can't, does have those chops and he is able to play with, with these power five dogs that we, we expect to do well and play against higher talent. We expect um, them to do well, but when he walks in there and he does well, if teams start to value his skill set a little bit more, this is, you know, one of those things with Ashton Doolin last year and, and Keelan Doss, both of those guys had really good profiles coming out, but they, Keelan Doss came out of um, out of uh, oh, what's the school? It's UC, uh, U, uh, UC 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 Davis. Yes, UC Davis came out for. He's a hometown kid right here from Alameda. 
he went to UC Davis and uh, Ashton Doolin went to a independent. Was it Malone? Malone? It was. Yeah. So th- both yeah. those guys going to smaller schools, they had really great po- profiles, but the team, the, the NFL teams don't value those guys as much. So that's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. We should probably start to have, like throw in a little bit of nuance in the way that we evaluate these guys with the way that some teams are evaluating mm-hmm. them. Because as much as I love AGG, I hope that the senior bowl week was enough to showcase his skill and maybe he gets taken, you know, on on day two within that second or third round range because that would boost his draft stock in rookie drafts immensely from my perspective at least. I would say he'd have a very, a very good high percentage chance of being a hit in fantasy um, in whatever situation he walks into. But this is why you know you want to pay attention to these types of things because teams don't value guys that come from Liberty. Teams don't value guys that come from come from UC Davis. Teams don't value guys that come from Malone because they think the talent difference is that big that a guy's lone skill set can't can't hold up. And we don't get very many Antonio Browns. You know, we don't get we don't get right. very many of those guys that 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 walk onto a program and just. They, they they win. They do it. They get to break out. They can they can over override the fact that they don't get volume from from the jump and their skill set shines. As opposed to where guys like Doss, like Ashton Doolin, and hopefully not, but Antonio yeah. Gandy Golden, we would like to see him come in and, and be able to compete right off the jump, but teams don't value th- those those players. They get taken later in the draft and they don't have the opportunity to showcase their skill early. They move around from team to team. They can never really get their feet set. And that's where we see great profiles in small schools fall off but he's somebody that i'm really willing to bite on if his draft stock moves up a little bit like i said hopefully day two if he lands anywhere in between second and third third round i would love to snag him devin duvernay i already think um i I, i'd be looking to get him in probably the third or the fourth round of my rookie drafts flash in the pan kind of guy and we don't know how teams are going to value him either i've heard a lot of good buzz and i've heard a lot of bad buzz about him um so yeah, those are two guys that I'm that I'm definitely willing to pull the trigger on. I think they have the the upside, but it's going to come down to where those teams value them with the draft cap. And I pulled up uh, AGG's. Uh, I went to Liberty's website, and I don't have they don't their website is kind of crap, so they don't have like the full season stats, so I can't see it. But I'm assuming at age 18 in 2017, his sophomore season with 69 receptions and almost 1,100 yards, there's a good chance that he he produced <laughs> in that age 18 season. I'd, I'd be willing to bet that, that that market share percentage was pretty high for those team receiving yards. So um, good stuff there, Jesse. And, and I've got to ask you, man, I've got to ask you, I know you're not done yet, but give us, give us your... Um, Let's say top five right now from where you are uh, in in this standpoint of 2020. Was that his age 18 or was that his age 19 season? Was his freshman or sophomore? 21. Because his birthday, they got his birthday at April 11th. So it was his sophomore season. So that would be age 19, age 19. Okay, so see, yeah. And that's 69 receptions for over 1,100 yards. And if even if we cross-check his raw statistics back um, back to these past two years, I think that's probably about what he hit there. 
in in terms of if raw statistics. So even if we just I don't have it in my database, but even if uh, we just take a, a very very um, quick guess, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that yeah, he definitely did did have an age 19 breakout, and he was able to sustain a large market share at Liberty. So that that even elevates his profile even more. I wish we had the team total for the yards. That's where that's where I think I I got lost there, and I didn't even bother is because they don't have the team totals there. I can't cross check, but I think it's a very safe assumption to say that he probably did break out there. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable taking him a little bit in the later rounds. I'm perfectly comfortable taking him. I just hope he gets the draft capital to back him up. So let me ask you this, and I know that you're still in the data collection point and, and everything is still sort of a moving engine right now. But if you can give us your top five from where you stand right now, wide receivers in the 2020 class, where are you sitting at right now today, Jesse? Okay, so my my tier one, I'm I'm going with Jalen Rager. I'm going with Tyler Johnson. I'm going with Ceedee Lamb. I'm going to I'm going with Brian Edwards. And my my fifth, I'm gonna go ahead and go with. Oh, I can't remember who the, I think. I think I only had those four in my top tier. And then the fringe guy was the fringe guy that the, there's two fringe guys. I have, I, I believe were, were T Higgins and Jerry Judy. Now, Jerry Judy, he's, whoa, he whoa, graded out probably, I know, whoa, hey, I, Jesse. I, I, I like him. Hey, I like him. He graded out fairly average in terms of the market share, but like I said, we have to adjust for what teams think of him and what right. people are going to think of him in the draft, and he is a lock to go number one. He hit the thresholds that we asked, and he's going to get a number one nod, and that right there, an age 19 breakout with a number one yeah. nod, high, high probability that he is going to get that volume early on, and he's going to be able to have the opportunity with whatever situation he goes to. So I have you have to be able to account for that, even if he didn't grade out as high in the model as a lot of these other players do. I think that's that's what makes him a fringe guy. If I'm going solely on the data, he's definitely a tier two guy for me. Maybe even a lower on the tier two totem pole because I like guys like T. Higgins. I love guys like Denzel Mims, Lavishka Chanel. Um, the the you know those guys are are really really good and I they they presented really really great stable data for us to go on. So, um, but yeah, so I'd say those are my top four: Tyler Johnson, Jalen Rager. Brian Edwards and CeeDee Lamb. Lamb. Those are my four guys right there. Those are the ones that if you want every any you know reference, those are the guys that if you have anywhere after pick 103, and I say 103 because I think J.K. Dobbins is going to squeak his way into maybe the top three to four picks because he's going to be um, that third running back. Him and Cam Akers, it might be a little bit of a toss there, but I really think that it's going to be Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift are going to be your locked and loaded number one and number twos. And um, after that, I really think you're gonna you're you're gonna see a big run on wide receiver. Which, to the contrary, this is why guys like Tylen Wallace going back. This is why guys like um, um, Devonta uh, Smith not back. Yeah, just Tylen Wallace up there. Yeah, Devonta Smith. Yes, exactly. Devonta Smith, Tylen Wallace going back. This is where the depth kind of starts to 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 take a hit, and you're gonna see these guys like a Jerry Judy, like a C.D. Lamb. <clears throat> like a T. Higgins, yep. Lavishka Chenault, these are all going to be guys that you're looking for in the middle to the back end of that first. And then that's, you know, so 
those that those four names right now, based on the data that we have, the and everything the the presented that that we can use at this very moment, those are my four guys that I'm willing to throw in tier one, and I'm gonna be looking to take early in drafts. All right, Jesse. Something that I didn't put on the show sheet, but I learned talking with Peter is every it's easy and and even Matt Kelly, uh, host of the uh, Fantasy Mansion. If you don't know who who Matt Kelly is, the Podfather, I've heard him talk about this as well. It's very easy for us to tout players, right? When we talk about how great players are, that's what gets the likes. That's what people retweet. That's what, you know, people love you. But as soon as you say something negative about a player, that's when you get all the hate and this guy's crazy and reckless talk. But Peter said, you know, you've got to, at some point, you got to take a stand and say, I'm not a fan. I understand that you like this guy, but I'm not a fan. So I'm not going to ask you to give me your sleeper. I'm going to ask you to give me somebody right now that you are just, you're staying away from. The data doesn't match up. You don't believe, you know, let's just say they get decent draft capital. I'm not talking about somebody who's going to be a top 10 pick and then you're telling everybody to stay away, but somebody that you're just, you're a little bit, you're a lot lower than consensus on this player and you have a, a lot of pause and reservation. Who's who's that one player for you, wide receiver? It's Henry Ruggs. It's Henry Ruggs. And I'm not I'm I'm not budging on him. I will I'm not going to have any exposure to him. He could get taken within the first five picks of the draft. There are very rare instances that a wide receiver does not present the analytical profile and even then gets drafted in round one and then still somehow squeaks out to have multiple top 24 scoring seasons in fantasy, let alone even one top 12 fantasy season. There are very rare instances where wide receivers don't break out at all. He did not break out across the board, did not have any combined. That's factoring in touchdowns as well. Just did not have it. He couldn't swing on the positive side of touchdown variance and, and break out at age 18, 19, 20 at all. So for me, I'm off of Henry Ruggs. I understand he's, his speed will get him drafted very high, but he will have to go to a very, very, very down year, or not down year, a down system for him where he does not have to compete with literally anybody. Think Terry McLaurin, but maybe a notch below that situation. Wow. And I don't even know if we can get there. Uh, um, yeah, yeah he's going to have to, he is going to have to go to a bad situation and that's not to say that he does he can't have a good year he can hit a top 36 year if he goes to I, I think we've discussed this before he goes to the Jets without Robbie Anderson and he's only competing with Jamison Crowder Jamison Crowder is going to rule those targets but Henry Ruggs is going to be able to use that speed and he's going to hit a 60 yarder on you know, maybe four or five times a season and he's going to have a couple catches and he'll have some usable weeks. Maybe he can hit that top 36 if he gets lucky, but I do not see him for the price that a team is going to pay and for the price that you, the listener or the the content consumer for the price that that person you out there listening is going to want to pay to get Henry Ruggs after he gets drafted in the first round. It is not worth it because you are giving up very high draft capital for a guy who does not have any suggested repeatability, even if he does inch his way into a top 24 season miraculously. I don't see it. It's not going to happen for me. 
Come at me, Twitter. I hope you listen to this because <laughs> Henry Ruggs is not my guy, and I will tell you every single time that's just not my guy. Uh, that's the one guy and, right now that I can thoroughly say is just never going to happen for me. And I'm and I'm assuming that means if for some reason he is an all star, you'd be fine with making that. That'd be a miss, and you'd be perfectly fine with it. Whatever. If he if he oh. turns out to be good, I mean, if that happens, oh, then. Absolutely, absolutely. You want to know who my who my second? He was either my second or third. He was my third because I had AJ Brown last year. My third rated wide receiver last year was Keyshawn Johnson. I loved that man. But he didn't come out with the draft capital. He didn't come out swinging. Arizona just decided to draft seven wide receivers and keep Larry Fitzgerald. I I couldn't account for that, but from what I saw in the analytical profile, I loved Keyshawn Johnson, and I still love Keyshawn Johnson, but he should not have been in my top four based on all the data that was presented, and I'm more than willing to account that as a miss, but going back to my process, that's those are things, that's where you refine it, that's where you get better at it, and I, I, Keyshawn will always hold a special place in my heart. If there's another player's jersey that I might buy that's not a Chargers jersey, I'm going to get that man's jersey, because I I, I love me some Keyshawn Johnson, but no, I'm perfectly fine with it. If if Henry Ruggs comes out and he he's just breaks the absolute mold to where, you know, college metrics don't matter because Henry Ruggs and that's going to be the narrative. <laughs> if that if that happens, I'll take the L, man. I, I'm more yeah. than willing to take it, but I'm doing my best my best uh, Matt Kelly impression right now and Peter Howard impression. I'm telling you there's it's a no-go for me on Ruggs. Don't even try it. So, are the Chargers going to draft Tua? Oh, you dude, <laughs> did you have to do this to me right now. Oh, I'm so oh, confident. I'm know. so confident. <laughs> I, I, I would love to believe, and that's a. So the real question is, who's your 101? If in superflex leagues, and let me tell you right now, it's Tua if he gets drafted by the Chargers. That's your 101. Don't don't worry about any of the running backs. Don't worry about any wide receivers. You just take Tua <laughs> and you, you let it go, okay? Because he's going to be the best quarterback in history once he goes to the Chargers. In history. Tom Brady's got six. Tua's going for seven. Not one, not two, not three, mm-hmm. not four. LeBron James style, baby. <laughs> Jesse, man. Yeah. Uh, Tell tell the people, I know you got some good stuff cooking right now, so uh, tell the people where they can find you and everything that you got working, brother. Absolutely, yeah. If you guys uh, are looking for me, um, I'm, I'm kind of everywhere right now, but my, my primary platform is is uh, playerprofiler.com or Roto Underworld, and right now I'm cooking up um, a couple pieces about th- these this tier two of wide receivers that we just talked about, guys like you know Denzel Mims and a couple other names. I'm cooking up an article that, that is based off of this data that we really dove into a few minutes ago, and um, so I'm going to be cooking up some pieces like that. Hopefully, I'll have that up in, in a day or so give or take. And I'm doing um, a prospect breakdown profile, well, a prospect breakdown series with a good friend of mine, Matt Gajewski. And uh, me and him are, are doing what's called the draft dialogue, just looking to get a little bit of dialogue going on these prospects. We go over age-adjusted data. Matt is an absolute wizard with adding contextual data on um, who, who these guys played, what type of of contest or what type of uh, competition they face, why uh, some of the injury reports, and I just come in with some of the data and why I like them and some tape, uh, some some film 
um, opinions as well. And we both just are really vibing on that. We, we did our first show last week. We've been breaking up the videos and releasing them on Twitter. You can find those on my Twitter profile at Jesse Reeves FF. And, uh, I'm going to be hopping on a, a plethora of podcasts within the next couple weeks. So hopefully you don't get bored of my voice, but I'm, I'm going to be kind of everywhere. You can, if, if there's, you know, talk about the draft, I hope that I'm involved somewhere. So, um, yeah, you can, you can find me anywhere. <laughs> And if people want to get any access to some of the data that you've you've run, uh, you I know you've got some tweets, Jesse. So they people just need to tweet at you and and, and holler at you, and you'll point them into the direction of some things that you've done already and posted. Absolutely. There's you guys can check out my pin tweet. That's um, I think just a raw look at um, fantasy points year to year with just factoring in breakout age and things like Dominator and stuff. And it's it's a list of just active players right now to give you just kind of a baseline of of what you're looking for in, in some of the data that we just went over in, in more detail. Um, I just recently did a study on yards per route run, which is PFF data and how it pertains to how we should be using it as an efficiency metric for rookies and beyond and how that carries fantasy repeatability from year to year for guys that spike in that area. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly just playing around with whatever just piques my interest. So I'm always posting stuff on Twitter. If you have any questions at all, feel free to just reach out to me in my DMs. Um, if I don't get back to you right away or within a day or so, um, feel free to bug me a little bit then. I will try and help you as much as I possibly can if you have any questions um, about anything. Hey, Jesse Reeves, ladies and gentlemen, Jesse freaking Reeves. And I'm just going to say, and I mean this sincerely, this dude works his ass off. He works his ass off. And as I always say, and I know he agrees with this philosophy I can't show you. I can't make you see what I see. I can't do it. I cannot convince you. I can't make you see what I see. All I can do is show you how I got there. And that's Jesse Reeves as well. I know he feels the exact same way. So check out all his content, interact with him on Twitter and stay tuned because he is hitting these podcast airways. This man knows his stuff. Thank you for jumping on the DDP on a Friday night, brother. We appreciate you, Jesse. Thank you so much, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, man. Thank you for lending me the platform. I always appreciate getting that one-on-one time with you, dude. Anytime, big dog. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Destination Debbie Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. One more time for our guest, Jesse Reeves. If you're not following Jesse on Twitter, please do so. This guy's got a wealth of knowledge from an analytical and film perspective. Just a fantastic follow, fantastic guy. Make sure you reach out to him. Got a lot of good stuff in store for the DDP. You may have another episode or two this week, depending on how things shake out. But big plans heading into draft season and getting you ready for your Debbie draft. Got a depleted rookie draft show coming up and plenty of fantastic guests and more Debbie knowledge. Got to keep coming with it. Head on over to DLF, man. We've got Debbie ADP. That's right, Debbie ADP. We are conducting monthly mock drafts. I know a lot of you have been asking about ADP. We've got it. So I don't I don't tell you to subscribe to things, but if, if you want to be a better Debbie player, the subscription over there at DLF, just to get that Debbie ADP. I mean, there's a ton of other uh, usable content items over there that will help you be better Debbie and Dynasty players, but that Debbie ADP is huge. You know, 
this evening or whenever you're listening to the show, make sure you tell the people around you that you love them, that you care about them. Cherish each moment, cherish every day. Don't take anything for granted. Hug those loved ones, give them a big kiss and, and let them know that you're, uh, you're always thinking about them and they're always near and dear to your heart because we never know when our time is up. And with that being said, I just want to say rest in peace to Kobe Bryant, his daughter and the other victims of the helicopter crash. Today, I'm recording this on the 26th of January. Um, just a very, very sad situation. Very sad. And my, my heart goes out to those victims, families, and, and Kobe Bryant's fans all across the world. But you know what's next. I'm rambling. Drop the music. Thank you.